In the midst of this global crisis, the voices for justice are revealing what really matters. It is time for Planetary Makeover. Here we feature solutions and modern miracles in documentary videos that offer hope for our future and remind us all of our spiritual source. Long ago it was forecast that at this time in history, extraordinary teachers, including the world teacher, would emerge to help us as we build a world that works for everyone. Now, here's your host of Planetary Makeover, Mr. David Minot. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Planetary Makeover. And happy MLK Day to those who are watching live. And also, to date myself, um, which is a little out of context for people that will be watching it in the future, this show comes only, what is it, less than two weeks after the events in Washington, D.C. at the Capitol. Our last show was just two days before that. And just two days later, so much changed in the country and the world. And let's hope that going forward, that we'd sort of bottomed out and it's all uphill from here in a good way. So tonight's show is a subject that's always topical and particularly now with the crisis of COVID. And it is also a Dick Larson video and just part one of part two. Um, we will show, be showing part two in the near future, hopefully the next show. And this one that Dick has produced is known as Death and Rebirth. And he's interviewing McNair Ezzard, who's an ordained minister. And it's a fascinating subject that it would be absurd to think we could cover in two episodes. You couldn't cover it in two times 5,000 episodes. And it is something that has mystified and eluded many men for time immemorial. But to others, it's no longer a mystery. And if one examines the ageless wisdom teaching that I like to think of myself and the, and the group that created the show does. You would, got, you would have gotten more background information on this, but there are many other sources as well. And in time, we're hoping that this type of material will lead to the cessation of fear of something that is a normal part of living. And if you think about it too, with mankind, in the modern era, it tends to be a source of great neuroses. And look at our obsession with youth. Unconsciously, that has a link to the fear of death and dying. And this will be touched upon, of course, by McNair and Dick during the interview. And we will talk about it more 
afterwards, but I thought I'd just give you a primer in that regard, which is really something we already know, though we don't like to think about it. We don't like to think about death or the fact that we avoid it or that our culture is obsessively trying to push the clock back. And hopefully through this type of knowledge that we present tonight, people will know that there is much that awaits them and that they will be back again. This is a long journey and it has many facets. So in that regard, let me also remind you that it is not our job to convince you of anything and we ask that you don't believe us either. I'm just setting my timer here, if you'll excuse me. What we present here is for your consideration only. We don't ask you to believe it or accept it. That we leave to you. We only ask that you approach this material with an open mind. Of course, everybody thinks, oh, that's easy. I got an open mind. But in, in fact, it's one of the rarest qualities on the planet. We all suffer from mental conditioning. And if some new idea concept or philosophy is presented to us and it conflicts with our with our sort of you know psychic status quo and our belief system then we tend to reject it oftentimes without thinking and without questioning so we're asking you to listen quietly and with a quiet mind Sort of like the way you watch a movie. I mean, a movie that you enjoy. Your, your mind is really rather still. You're not debating it. You're not overanalyzing it. You're just watching and enjoying. And you're not accepting it. You're not rejecting it. Same with it, with this material. If you just accept it without questioning, then you're not thinking it through. If you just reject it out of hand, then you haven't given it any real thought. So let's walk that middle path and see where it takes us. So, of course, this can easily be connected to the subject of death with the current COVID crisis and the many people that we are unfortunately losing due to this pandemic. And hopefully with this sort of material under your belt and studying it further on your own, we'll give you some source material it will help you overcome your own fear of death. That is, if you haven't overcome it already. And if you have, more power to you. So back to the idea of these new concepts. You know, we all crave some sort of emotional, mental security. And that's what leads us to cling to our old belief systems. But they also can frighten and handicap us. And in moving forward on the concept and the re what we would call the reality, the truth of death and regeneration, we can contribute to our own evolutionary growth. We can move forward in more ways than one. And when that fear is at last set aside, it will transform humanity as, at a stroke. We can also talk more about that later. But um, one of the other central concepts to the show, which I have to mention before the video begins, which will be shortly, looking at the time here, is that humanity has a help of an extraordinary kind. 
It is our elder brothers, known as the masters of wisdom, the lords of compassion, the spiritual hierarchy of the planet, many names. And they have come back into the world after a 98,000 year absence and with the world teacher at their head. And they are here to help humanity usher in a new age of enlightenment, of synthesis, of peace, of brotherhood, of justice and equality and a a restoration of the ecology and an end to the scourge of world starvation. So you have a lot to look forward to, despite all present signs, to the contrary. So these great figures that have been predicted for a millennium, what's some current evidence of their predicted coming? Well, if you look at, for example, the world's religions, the Jews are expecting the Messiah. The Muslims are expecting the Iman Mahdi. The Hindus are awaiting the latest incarnation of the Kali Avatar. And the Christians are awaiting the Christ. And the Buddhists are awaiting the latest incarnation of, wait for it, Maitreya Buddha. They at least got the name right. Now, the thing that's important to remember today is that these predictions are thousands of years old. And now these figures coming back into the world are not religious figures per se. They're spiritual teachers, non-denominational. They belong to no group. They belong to no organization. They belong to you. They belong to the people. And they're here for everyone. And they're not looking for followers. They don't need you to believe in him, in them, excuse me. So they're here for the agnostics, the atheists, as well as the fundamentalist Christians. Though some groups will find them harder to accept than others, but that's up to you to do. They won't ask for your acceptance when they arrive either. You can judge for yourself when they get here. Now, the leader, as I alluded to, his name is Maitreya. And Maitreya is the head of the spiritual hierarchy for this planet, and comes with a group of some 40-odd masters, which will eventually externalize. Now, when we say masters, some people may understandably take exception to that word. What it means is they're masters of their own energies, not masters over anyone else. And so you can consider that going forward. And I think I should wrap this up because we need to get started on that video. Just one last thing I'd like to mention is that to help herald the emergence of Maitreya, there are four star star luminaries, luminary stars, how should I say that, in the sky at this time, the four corners of the sky. You can usually see them at night, even in the evening. And they're actually spacecraft from our brethren on the adjacent planets. They're five football fields across. You can tell they're not stars or planets because they're blinking, changing color, moving. You see things flying in and out of them. And people have taken many pictures of them who have nothing to do with our organization, as well as people here that have. I've taken many myself. And that will be a subject, once again, of another show. We've mentioned it again. Oh, I should say we've mentioned it before. And we'll mention it again. And with that, Mr. Producer, if you could let that tape roll, I can give my voice a rest.
Hi, I'm Dick Larson and welcome to the show. My guest today is Reverend McNair Ezard. Um, Reverend Ezard uh, is a, an ordained Methodist minister and he's also uh, the administrator of a nursing home facility as well as a longtime student of the Ageless Wisdom. So welcome to the show, McNair. Thanks, Dick. It's a pleasure to be here. Good to have you here. McNair, um, many of us got our ideas about what happens to us when we die and after we die. Um, growing up in an organized religion, such as I'm sure you did and I did as well. And so we've developed our belief system about what happens after death, um, largely based on that, at least um, going into adulthood. What do you think happens to us when we die? I think it's a lot different than what we've been led to believe and what we've been taught in the in, within the confines of the church. To me, we are souls in incarnation and that we're on a journey, a journey from a low level of consciousness, if you will, to experiencing a much higher level of consciousness or what some people would call experience of God. And it takes a long time to make that journey. But through that journey, we leave and we come back frequently to this earth to learn lessons. And it's, it's a never-ending process. When we leave this body, we're still alive, still experiencing. So life goes on. Now that sounds a little bit different than the traditional Christian ideas about what happens when we die. Um, what is your take on, on those beliefs? Well, it is quite different. And if this was four or five hundred years ago, it would probably be branded anathema and tarred and feathered or right. burned at the stake. Because it does, this idea does go against a lot of what the church teaches about um, the afterlife and what happens. The church has done a lot of good giving people a framework to live their lives in, um, taught people how to live in peace, hopefully, and to learn how to love and to share and to serve each other. But I think it's really mistaken, missed the ball on the idea of what happens after we, we, we die. I don't believe that we die and we're judged by a vengeful God as we're taught. I don't believe that when we die, if we've lived a bad life, that we immediately go to a place called hell mm -hmm. and spend the rest of eternity there. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen like that. And I think as humanity's ability to think things through and science has become more prominent and proving um, the existence of unseen levels of matter and existence in the world, that people are starting to question this old idea of what happens after we die that the church has presented to us. So I think they've gotten it wrong, basically. Well, as I understand it, the church's idea is that we have one life, and that when we die, that's pretty much the end. That we are a soul, the soul is eternal, but that that's the end of it, um, it when we die. And you uh, had the, well, first of all, before I go to that, I, I just want to say that it sounds like you're saying we come back again. We do, repeatedly. Thousands okay. of lifetimes okay. have so we That's had. quite different than the church says. Yeah. yeah. You had the uh, good fortune to, in, to interview Dr. Raymond Moody, who is mm -hmm. the well-known author and researcher into near-death experiences. I did. That must have been fascinating. What is a near-death experience exactly? A near-death experience is where someone is pronounced clinically dead 
and within a few minutes or so, they come back to life. Their heart stops, brain functions stop, and they're pronounced dead, but then they end up coming back to life. And they are able to tell to those of a people around them, their loved ones, doctors, of experiences they had when they were dead, out of the body. Okay, so what are some of those typical experiences that you heard when you were interviewing Dr. Moody? It's, it's a wonderful subject. It's so fascinating. He himself is a, is a wonderful guy. Um, some of those characteristics of that experience are a person finds themselves in another body, outside of this body. They might be floating above the body, say if they're in the hospital or something or in a bed, mm -hmm. and they're looking down at themselves. Okay. They can see the people that are around their body, below them. They can hear them talking. They see a tunnel. They start to go down that tunnel. At the end of that tunnel, they see a light, and they quickly, very quickly, come into that light. They come through the tunnel and enter into that light, and as they do, they see their friends and families people that have died before them who are waiting for them to greet them and they're greeted by them and this light takes on an individual loving presence about it and the next thing that happens is this loving presence stands with that person if you will mm -hmm. and they a life review takes place where they see everything on one big screen that has happened to them everything they've done or said that's affected them and affected other people. After that's over, they are told or they're given the choice of either, you know, staying or going back to their body. Um, sometimes they're told that they need to go back to their body. Quite often people want to stay because they experience no pain if they've been having a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. They experience a newfound freedom from their body that they haven't experienced. Um, but they obviously, they make a choice to come back to the body, and then they find themselves back, back in the body, um, fully aware as they were before they were pronounced dead. It's interesting that you said that one of the common experiences is that they review their life's experiences and the um, effects that their actions have had on others. Um, are they judged? Do they, do they report feeling regret and remorse about things and and um, criticized or judged about that or, or no or not at all not at all that's the thing about it is when they enter that light it's just like you're you're swimming in a sea of love and compassion and understanding okay. and you yourself are really your own judge as you look at those experiences that you've had in your life mm -hmm. you see the ramifications of things you've said you see the ramifications of things you've done to people. Good and bad. Good and bad. Okay. And not only do you see the effect that it's had on that immediate person, but if you could take as an example, as you throw a rock into a pond right. and you see ripples rippling towards the shore, mm -hmm. that's what happens. When you, when you say something to someone, say it's a negative comment, right. that has effects beyond that person. And you see the effects that that has had on other people and other situations in your life. And the fascinating thing about this also is that quite often what we take to be have, have been our major accomplishments in life we see aren't really that significant. 
and the smaller things that we've done or said to help somebody or mm -hmm. speak a kind word to someone, mm -hmm. those things stand out more prominently when we're doing that life review. Yeah. But there's no sense of judgment. There's a sense of trying of understanding about what we've been through, what we've done, where we've learned. Um, have we learned to love? That's the basic message. Have we learned to love? And that's what the review is about. How have we learned to love? Have we accomplished that purpose by being in existence? People that are interested in reading about this can pick up books by Dr. Raymond Moody, right? Yeah. His first book was called Life After Life, and he's oh. written a number of books since then. Okay. They could also pick up a book called Embraced by the Light, written by Betty Eady, E-A-D-I-E. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and... Um, in there, she relates many similar experiences and also talks about the ripple effect and seeing, for example, that if she helped somebody, then they went home, they were in a good mood, and they were kind to somebody else, mm -hmm. and that made that person feel good in this, and it just kind of like a domino effect. Mm -hmm. Same thing with negative comments or mm -hmm. negative reactions, and uh, very descriptive and very, very interesting. Yeah. That is said to be the most detailed, lengthy, uh, near-death experience ever recorded is Betty Eady's mm -hmm. book mm -hmm. and um, it is it's a fascinating book mm -hmm. and I would encourage people to mm -hmm. to check that out as well okay. but let me ask you as you were talking to Dr. Moody how common did he say these experiences were these near-death said back in the 1980s um, of course he's he's interviewed thousands and thousands of people over the years that have had these experiences wow. but some scientists did a study and based on the number of people that they had interviewed and projected that into the larger population it was millions of people who they estimated had probably had that experience i think something like 7 or 8 million and as it's as that experience has be, has become more talked about in our society people aren't labeled weird or crazy when they talk to their family and friends about it, mm -hmm. more people are speaking about these experiences Yeah, as we've gone along. I, I remember it took Betty Eady something like years and years for her family and friends to finally convince her to write a book because she was afraid it would be a waste of time. Everyone mm -hmm. would just laugh at her. And of course it wasn't. It was a bestseller for like nine months, yeah. you know, and people weren't laughing at all. So you're right. People have a, a real keen interest in, in this. Um, the people that, that you said that commonly they're given a choice. You can yeah. come back or you can stay. Of course, he can only interview the people who chose to come back. Right. Um, when they come back, do they come back with any lessons that they've learned or anything like that that they can they share? Do, they do, indeed. Um, and some people, when they come back, they may not remember everything that happened during the experience. And certainly a lot of people are pronounced dead and come back and don't remember even any experience at okay. all. But the lesson that people have is that love matters, that we're here for a purpose. I mean, people that have committed, tried to commit suicide, when they come back, there's almost no instance of them trying to repeat their suicide is attempt that right? after that because they see that there's purpose to life mm -hmm. and that love matters and that there is a reason that they're here. There, he tells a story of one minister, a fundamentalist minister who died and had a near-death experience. And during that life review part of it, he saw himself at a pulpit preaching fire and brimstone, which he had done all his life. And suddenly he found himself, he saw this little boy in the congregation, which he had no relationship to, but he found himself in the, aware, the awareness of that little boy. Yes. And he saw the fear 
felt the fear that that little boy had because of what he was preaching to the mm -hmm. congregation. Yes. And after he saw that, this presence that was with him, who he called Jesus, the presence said, not in a condemning way or a judging way, but it said, I don't guess you'll be preaching like that anymore, will you? And he, when he came back to life, to the body, he told people, he said, the most magnificent thing was, I've realized that God doesn't care about my theology, but, but that it was love and how we care for one another and how yeah. we demonstrate that in our lives day to day. That wow. was the most important thing. People that have, have died tend to have a strong spiritual urge to know more and to study and to grow spiritually after they come back. So they do come back with a little different point of view mm -hmm. then, don't they? Yes, indeed. Yeah. And no fear of death. I know a lay a friend of mine who she's in her 70s now and when she was in her 20s she had a near death experience she was pronounced dead she remembers floating above her body in the hospital and the doctor saying she's gone and she was saying I'm not gone I'm not gone you know mm -hmm. but she said ever since when she, and then when she came back into the body she has never had a fear of death at, since then because to these people that have had this experience yeah. they know that life continues they may or may not know that they come back or what happens further on after they're dead longer, but it gives them that strong sense that there is a continuity to existence. I was going to ask you, do any of them report any kind of awareness that they've had previous lives or that they'll come back for any more lives? Raymond Moody has said that it doesn't really prove or disprove it. The people that have commented on that felt like they weren't quite far enough along in the process to know whether it was true or not. Okay. So, but they so. do they do strongly believe there's a, there's a continuity of life, but whether or not they come back, the near death experience itself is not, according to him, proof or not of that it, that it's true. Yeah. Now I know that you're a longtime student of the Ageless Wisdom, and I am too, um, and uh, that included in the Ageless Wisdom philosophy or view of life and the universe is the idea of rebirth, the idea that that when we die that our spirit takes on different bodies and keeps coming back as we continue to learn the lessons that this planet Earth, mm -hmm. um, our home, has to teach us mm -hmm. and that each time we pick up where we left off and continue to grow until we don't need bodies and don't have any, any more lessons to learn, um, which I have a hard time imagining myself. <laughs> but. But that idea of rebirth in the East, they call it reincarnation, uh, is not very popular among Christians. Mm -mm. Why, do you have any idea why that is? Well, early in the history of Christianity, reincarnation, rebirth, is, it was, it's thought that it was really widely discussed and pondered upon by people of the faith, that it wasn't you know, so far-fetched to people. In fact, there's instances which people point to in the New Testament of Jesus talking about the idea of reincarnation. But in the 6th century, the emperor Justinius, who was the Roman emperor at the time, had the teachings of a, a theologian back then, his name was Origen, Origen. Mm -hmm. had his teachings branded anathema. And, and some think that it was because he was trying to consolidate the Roman Empire again and get people living together and he couldn't have all these divergent types of philosophies going on and he wanted to make, bring people around the flagpole of one religion and not have all these things that would make it harder to people to work and live together. Mm -hmm. And so 
the teachings of origin were branded anathema. But it was funny that at that at that meeting when they did that, all these bishops that he had there, the Pope wasn't even there. These were all friends or what you will or bishops of the Emperor Justinius. So the teaching was expunged from from the Christian faith starting back then, but people tended to believe it off and on. But I think why people have such a hard time with it today is because it goes against everything that we've been taught in terms of judgment, the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross, the vicarious atonement. I mean, what does it say about the vic about our sins being forgiven and us going to hell if there's reincarnation what does Jesus' death on the cross mean and people don't want to deal with uh, the ramifications of that because it brings into question so much of the Christian teaching so people people don't like the idea of that being wrong what mm -hmm. they've been taught mm -hmm. the church wants power over people and if people have many lives to get it right and to become better people, then what do they need the church for? Mm -hmm. um, and also people don't like the idea of having to come back and going through the same sorrows, the same pains that they've had to go through in this life. They like the idea of, well, this is just one life, it's painful, but once I'm gone, I'm out of here, I'm through the pearly gates, and that's where I'm going to be for all time. Yeah. Um, you know, it is, it is strange because... There's, there's one scene in the New Testament of the Christian Bible where the disciples ask Jesus straight up. They say, is John the Baptist, Elias, returned? And he says, yes. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say, what a stupid question. Mm -hmm. Why would you even, you know, mm -hmm. he just says, yes. A real right. simple answer. And, and you do get the feeling that, that it was probably understood at the time. Um, yeah. And there's, I, another, there's another saying in there, too, where they, they're asking Jesus about a blind man. And they say... Um, why is this man blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? Which to many people, it was just common knowledge that people believed in reincarnation right. during that time. He couldn't have possibly sinned mm -hmm. to cause himself to be born blind right. unless it was in a previous lifetime. Right. Yeah. And what a lot of people don't know is Jesus was a member or really close to the Essene community in the, of that time. And the Essenes believed in the coming back of the soul to mm -hmm. the body yeah. over time. Where, do, where does that, well, I was going to say, where, where does that take us with the crucifixion and what does all that mean? Um, can you get, do you have a short answer? <laughs> well, it all has, it's all tied up with that idea of salvation. There's no way that, according to the ageless wisdom teachings, that all of the sins that we commit, ever how a person may define sin, mm -hmm. that someone can take, take those sins away for us. We created our world that we each individually live in. Mm -hmm. We've cre created the sins that we, we've committed the sins that we have, and we have to pay for it ourselves. Jesus dying on the cross doesn't nullify the fact that we have to come back and make right all the wrongs that we've created. Then what was it all about? Jesus was a great teacher, a spiritual teacher, a son of God, but we're all sons and daughters of God. He died on the cross to show us the way back to God in the sense that we all have to go through these different levels of awareness. We have to go through all these different steps of initiation to perfection, which he, was, he demonstrated on the physical plane. That dying on the cross was symbolic of the crucifixion initiation, where we totally renounce everything of this world 
for the good of the spirit to go on to God, basically. So it, um, salvation, we, cre- we travel the path of salvation as we step onto the spiritual path, that path of salvation opens before us, but we can make it long or short. We all have free will, but um, it makes it harder in a way because we have to do the work now. We yes. can't rest back on the fact that Jesus died 2,000 years ago. We have to do the work and make it better. So he died to show us the way. He died to show us the way. To show us what we have to give up, Yeah. which is our interest in, in, in everything the world. earthly, including I mean, our physical bodies. I mean, we think yeah. that we're all, all, all the things of this world, It seems to not. me he also died to demonstrate that we come back, because he did come back that we live after death, mm-hmm. because he did come back. You know, and he did see. come back. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, which takes us back to rebirth. And, and I'm wondering, do you think that, that there will ever come a point where rebirth is proven, where, where we know that it, it's mm. true? I think it will. We're about to come into a time when some great spiritual teachers are going to be living out amongst humanity. According to the Ageless Wisdom teachings and British author Benjamin Krim, there's a great teacher in the world and has been for a number of years now. His name is Maitreya, and he's the world teacher. He's not a religious leader per se, but he's a great spiritual teacher who has come back to earth, to humanity, to teach us who we are as children of God and to show us the way forward into the kingdom of God. But not only is he here, but a group of his disciples called the Masters of Wisdom. This group of spiritual teachers will be with us for a long time into the future. And very soon, within the next hundred years or maybe even less, humanity will be shown the fact of our divinity. It'll be demonstrated that we are on this long evolutionary journey back to God, and they will prove once and for all the fact of reincarnation. And once this happens, once people learn who they are, once Maitreya and these masters teach us about this, it's going to obliterate in, from our consciousness this fear of death that we all have. If he's here now, why aren't we aware of it? And what is he here for? We're not aware of it because he hasn't come out into the public arena yet. And he is, but that doesn't mean that he hasn't been working. From behind the scenes, he's been stimulating the process of change in the world. We've seen dramatic political, economic changes in the world and social changes happening over the last 20 years or so. Mm -hmm. We're waiting for a time when he's invited to come out before humanity by the world's media. One of the precursors of that happening is he has said that there'll be a changes, certain changes in the world, economic changes, Mm -hmm. which will call forth his wisdom, that of the masters, to show us how to to correct the problems that our current economic and political systems have created in the world. And once that happens, once this economic change comes about, uh, um, Benjamin Krim has said a great economic collapse will happen, that this will send up a cry from humanity for help. And at that time, he will be invited to come on the world's television and radio and speak to humanity and basically advise us what we need to do to save ourselves. Sounds like we're talking about the stock market. 
In a way, we are because the stock market is really probably symbolic of the economic climate in which we live. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of people that aren't involved in the stock market that will experience this economic crash in a way that um, people that are involved in the stock market will experience it as well. Now, he is coming as the world teacher, you said, mm. to help humanity. It won't be the end of the world then? It's not the end of the world at all. It's the beginning of a real golden age for humanity. Okay. It's a wonderful and, time. And when he comes on TV, how will we know that it's him? We will be alerted to it before the, the time when he comes out into the open. Okay. Um, and there will be, be a press conference. And there will also be what will come to be known as the Day of Declaration, when he will appear on television. But he won't speak. But yet he will talk to humanity for 20 or 30 minutes. But even though he won't speak, we will hear his thoughts in our minds. You and I will hear him in English. People in France will hear him in French. Whatever language people might be speaking around the world, that's the language they'll hear him in. He will, it'll be telepathy in a way because he will be overshadowing the minds of all humanity. And he will be telling us who he is, who we are, and why he's here. It'll be a wonderful day for humanity. And his energy, his love will flow out through the hearts of all humanity. It will be as if he embraces all of humanity all at once. It'll be in Christian history, there's a, the day of Pentecost it talks about in the Bible. It right. would be really a repeat, only this time on a worldwide scale, okay. of the happenings of Pentecost. On that day, hundreds of thousands of miracles, healings will take place, physical healings, to, as if the first thing about telepathically overshadowing humanity wouldn't be enough. Right. People will be healed of these ailments and diseases that they have had. So if you're paying attention at all, it shouldn't be hard to miss. It shouldn't be hard to miss if you're watching TV or the newspaper and because we'll know that this person's in the world ahead of time mm-hmm. and we will know ahead of time when this event's going to And then take his place. teaching will begin, is that? His teaching will begin. He will be with us for the next 2,000 years. He will not leave. And as we come back into incarnation over and over again over the next 2,000 years, okay. we will see him at the center of our planetary life, teaching, guiding, consoling, helping humanity. He and also his group, the, the, the Masters of Wisdom, will be here. So rebirth shows up once again. As we come back, we will see him and his, and his teachers here. And we will see a change in humanity, I guess, and in the world, huh? A positive change, yeah. which we need. Very exciting. We need. Yep. You know, it's really fascinating to, to hear a an ordained minister's point of view, <laughs> you know, who is also familiar yeah. with the angel's wisdom. I mean, you're a, you're a very unusual, you know, mm. man, your background is very unusual and very varied, and it's it's really wonderful to be able to talk to you about this. Well, thank you. It's the only thing. It, it makes sense of all the Christian teachings. It brings it all together for me. There's so much in the way I was brought up that didn't yes. make sense, but when mm. I found out about reincarnation and eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and rebirth, it brought the whole thing together for me. Well, it's thank wonderful. you very much, McNair. Right. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I appreciate Pleasure. it. And thank you for being with us. Apparently, we already have a caller from California, James, who knows the number. And here it is for the rest of you. 
And James, if you want to go ahead and ask your question. Uh, yeah, hi. Um, and I'll, I'll try and make it brief. Um, can, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Okay, well, lovely. Um, yeah, um, what I don't understand, I've read some of Benjamin Krim's books. Um, from what I understand, that uh, my trade on the Masters have been behind the scenes for the last 2,000 years or so, helping humanity progress. And I can't help but wonder, just thinking about this, um, why haven't they been out front? You know, I, you know, it seems to me we would have progressed a hell of a lot faster and, um, pardon my language, and um, much more painlessly if they had been out front the whole time um, over the last 2,000 years or so. Um, so I just, that doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, we, and I've heard free will, but, you know, I think it, they, if, if Maitreya was for putting his ideas out there for all humanity and... We have the free will to decide yes or no as to, you know, to, to accept or reject. So it doesn't make sense to me why why they decided to do things behind the scenes for the last 2,000 years. That's all I got to ask. Okay, James. Well, let me try and answer that. And actually, they've been behind the scene, scenes that entire time, ever since they, they backed off from humanity 98,000 years ago, at our request, by the way, they have been quietly influencing humanity from those remote places, whether the Urals, the Cascades, the Himalayas, the Rockies, the Gobi Deserts, and so on. So they never left us. They never abandoned us. However, they are bound by cosmic, karmic, and divine law. So there is a limit to how much they can interact on our behalf. However, that limit is variable to a certain extent, given humanity's uh, request. We can request help, and that will bring them forth. So if they did what you ask, and I wanted the same thing, and I wish they had, we wouldn't grow. At least we wouldn't grow fast enough. It would be a parent-child relationship. And the only way we can grow, truly, to really learn and become the gods that they want us to become is to learn it ourselves they have helped in ways that we can't possibly imagine if you can possibly imagine that things could be worse than they are now they would have been a hell of a lot worse excuse my language if they had not been assisting behind the scenes so to use a a big example with the world wars which were really from hierarchies perspective the spiritual hierarchy of the planet, the masters of wisdom, was really just one war that went underground for 20 years. There was such an outcry from humanity after the terrible, terrible suffering, the incalculable horror that occurred during those wars that humanity decided to come forward sooner than expected. And that was capped off by the invention of the nuclear bomb, which we were not supposed to use. And then they realized they had to come forward sooner or else we destroy ourselves. And thus, Maitreya said that once humanity had adopted a modicum of the principle of sharing and a fairly, um, a fairly large amount of, of uh, inclination towards peace, he would come forward. That could have happened as soon as 1950, but we didn't. So he waited and he waited and he waited. And finally he said, ready or not, here I come. And in 77, he emerged. And even after that, 
Um, he could have come forward a lot sooner, but couldn't because humanity just wasn't ready, believe it or not. And now we are. And does that, um, does that help? Does that answer your to question? Degree. To a degree, but I just, uh, I, I just see a contradiction there. Um, there's, but he's so, supposed to say here for the next 2000 years out front. So, um, the frustrating thing I find is I don't understand why you'll be staying out front for the next 2000 years when you could have done that for the last 2000 years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. However, humanity demonstrated in the last 2000 years that it wasn't ready given all our warmongering. Um, unfortunately, yes, I would have loved to seen the same thing and I'm sure they would have. In fact, if we hadn't killed people like Jesus or Joan of Arc or other famous people that came forth to help out humanity, we would be hundreds of years ahead of where we are now. So you make a, a good point. And it is frustrating, but the wait is almost over. Thanks. You're welcome, James, and thanks you for calling in. And sure do we much. have any other callers coming in? Or do we have a little bit of a break here? I'm going to watch the screen here to the chat to see if anybody else pops up. But in the interim, I thought I would mention a little something. Now, I haven't had a dramatic near-death experience, the likes of which they have described. I only came close. I was in hospitalized in August, September 1998 and was in an induced coma for 10 days. And during that, during that coma, I remember a lot of what I saw. And of course, <laughs> it turned out when um, I, I asked Benjamin Krem, you know, who, who wrote so many of these books in the modern era about Maitreya and the masters, that it was all just glamor. In other words, it was emotional imagination. And I got quite an imagination as an artist. But when I came out of it, there were three, three, three things that really came to the fore as far as a lesson. And they were, number one, none of us is alone. If you think you're, if you think you're alone, you're delusional. Trust me, though many times we, well, a lot of us feel alone. Number two, you are loved beyond your capacity to comprehend, whatever that may mean. And number three, we are all more powerful than we could possibly imagine. And these are things that came to me before I got into the Aegis Wisdom teaching. I wish I was studying it in earnest at that time. Maybe I would have had some thoughts that were a little deeper, but that was as good as I got at that point. And... I'm wondering about yourselves now. Is there anyone out there who would like to call in that has had a near-death experience that went beyond mine and was really dramatic? And apart from that, people can call in who are just, as James uh, pointed out, trying to reconcile um, reality versus what, um, the current reality versus a potential reality that we would have liked to have seen or the contradiction between what we've presented today and what you've learned growing up in a Christian or Jewish or Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or other background. 
that would be really fascinating and educational for us to hear as well. I had a quote from Maitreya that I wrote down here, which is, excuse me, connected to the subject matter. He had said, may the fear of death die in the hearts of all men. And I had said that when my father had died and people that had inquired, you know, on Facebook, I posted that and it got quite a positive response. I wished I'd thought of it, but I'm glad that I heard it and was able to repeat it to people. And along those lines, I had taken some other notes while we were listening. Oh, Benjamin Krem, I almost forgot. Benjamin Krem had said in one of his books, can't remember which one, that mankind would eventually create, produce, invent machinery with which we would be able to communicate with those who had crossed over, those who had shifted consciousness, as we say in the Ageless Wisdom Teaching, the AWT for short, or those who were, are now on the other side of the veil, as it's also been put. And according to people like Ben and Alice Bailey and whatnot, that veil is getting thinner and thinner. So that will help uh, facilitate that, that um, communication between the two worlds. And also, I, let me see, what else had we got down here that I wanted to put down? Um, oh, I, I, I mentioned my dad. Let me mention my mom now. Um, my mom was raised uh, Catholic, and thus uh, we were. And she had said on the subject of reincarnation, I'm never coming back here again. And a lot of people say that, and it's understandable given the state of the world. But that's the personality talking. What we're discussing is things that happen on a soul level. And when you say things like that, I'm not coming back here again. Believe me, your soul is not even listening because it has another plan. And when you come back, it'll be a completely different movie. And speaking of that, this wasn't necessarily touched upon in this part one. It might be in part two, but there are, we are told, three permanent atoms that survive the death of the physical vehicle. I believe one has the information about the physicality, one um, the mental information, and one the emotional information. I think I could be mistaken. Hopefully somebody can call up and correct me on that. But the, I know there's, there's those three permanent atoms, and they survive and reincarnate when the person returns. And thus, some of what you learned, you do recall. Do you ever wonder why some people suddenly exhibit talents you don't and perhaps they didn't know that they had because they've done this before. It's not the first time around for them when it comes to that. So following up on Maitreya's quote, we want to remember too that we are part of the collective. You are humanity. You are a reflection of all of humanity. We're all connected. As the Ageless Wisdom teaching also says, all the atoms of creation are connected. So what you learn, humanity learns. When you uplift yourself, in a sense, you're uplifting everyone. <clears throat> Excuse me, though they may not be aware of it consciously at that time. So remember that 
it's not a waste because some people may think, well, what's the use of all this? If I'm learning all this material, if I'm just going to die, well, you aren't going to die in the broadest sense. The physical vehicle may be discarded, but you'll be back again. And with that knowledge, it is not lost. And you'll be able to share it with your brethren once again, as they will be able to share their wisdom with you. Now, let me just see if I had any more interesting notes based on what McNair and Dick were talking about. Oh, yes. I know that McNair had talked about the Christian concept of hell. And Christian Murdy had referred to hell as the fruit of Christianity, probably somewhat sarcastically. And the Ageless Wisdom teaching seems to posit that, no, there isn't a hell. Oh, and maybe I should, maybe I should show this again. There isn't a hell. There is purgatory. But in the end, everything in the universe is redeemed. It might take millions of years. It might take billions of years. But everything and everyone is eventually cleansed. And that cleansing process may involve coming back subsequent lifetimes. In fact, it almost always does. And so the idea of hell is really rather hard when you think about it. Why would we want to subject anyone to eternal torment? I don't think we really thought that one through. But the masters did. And luckily, they have shared that information with humanity going way, way back. We're running out of time here, so I'd like to mention a couple other things, which may seem like a non sequitur, but one thing that's important to advancing the evolution of humanity is practicing meditation. And what's the purpose? In a nutshell, to get your soul more in touch with your personality, to get the soul in touch with the physical brain, and to download some of its information into the brain. And what we're practicing is transmission meditation, which is really a world service. It helps out all of humanity. And that information is getting, as I said, downloaded like a computer into the physical brain and all of the body and can contribute to greater intelligence, greater creativity, an expansion of the love nature, better health, everything everyone wants. So why not meditate? And we'll be talking about transmission meditation again in the future as well. But one thing I wanted to give you besides just the telephone number, is this is this a spot on the web where you can get information on all these subjects? And that is share-ecart.com. And Share International has a plethora of books, videos, and all kinds of information that can help bring us all, including me, up to speed on this subject and many others. And so in two weeks, we'll be showing... Death and Rebirth, which will be the, or I should say, No Fear in the Time of COVID, the second half of our two-part series with Dick. Though it may go be going under a different name by then, we shall see. And that will wrap it up for our show this week. We're glad you could join us. Thank you for the questions and the comments. And we hope that for all of you that... Uh, the fear of death will die in your hearts. And with that, thank you. And we will see you in two weeks. 
Tune in right here in two weeks for the next Planetary Makeover Show as we watch and discuss another video by Francis Oman in light of the timely and non-denominational ageless wisdom teachings that will fill your spirit and inspire you with hope for the future, a world that works for everyone. So be prepared to call in and share your views and questions in another uplifting episode of Planetary Makeover. <laughs>